Well, good morning. Welcome. We are so glad you're here today. We have Lily. If you would like to be a, a part of our announcements, we take everyday orchard people, wherever you do, whatever you're doing, and you could be a part of our announcements. If you have a horse that does tricks, even better. Maybe your husband does tricks. doesn't matter. Well, we'd love to have you. Have you ever been at a church and you didn't know the rules? Yeah. Hey, how nervous is it to walk into a new church? It's ter- Can we just admit it's terrifying, right? Some of you are like, yes, and that is today. It's my first time, and I have no idea what's happening. Uh, I walked into some churches, and I was dressed completely wrong. I, I, when I was a kid, I did communion one time. And it, if you've gone through church life, you've probably done communion many different ways. They have, like, the big one cup we all drink from, and they wipe it, and then they have uh, bread. There's all different kinds of ways. When I was a kid, I went to a church up in Marble one time, and it was time for communion. And I, they said, if you believe in Jesus, come forward for communion. I went up front. I stood in line. And um, the gentleman at the front, the priest, he had a bowl of, you know, wafers. And I'm from the church at Redstone. You know, we wear hats and snowsuits to church, and we just grab the bread. And so I went up there, and I went like this, and he slapped my hand. I was like, oh. He goes, stick out your tongue. And I was like, what kind of trick is like?" <laughs> <laughs> and he put, the, put it right there on my tongue. That was a new experience for me. But I mean, if you go to any different church, they do communion in different ways. Here at the orchard, we have communion every, we provide it every week for those who would like to take it in remembrance of Jesus. And I've actually had people contact us and say, they ask me, they say, are you a cult? I was like, I, why? Why would you ask that? They go, well, you guys do the communion every week. Like, that's some commitment. I was like, <laughs> you know, I'd look for the Bible for the limit or the terms, but that's how we do it here. You're welcome to engage every week if you'd like to. And today, we're putting all of our church experience aside. Today, we're going to travel back in time to the first Passover, which is actually the first, not the first Passover, uh, the first Lord's Supper, the first communion. And it happens on the Passover week with Jesus. We have been going through the book of John um, throughout the summer, uh, chapter by chapter, learning so much about Jesus. And remember what I always say, here at the orchard, we keep the main thing, the main thing, and that's Jesus. Above all pandemic, above all politics, above all anything, we keep Jesus above all of it. And no matter, let me just make you a promise, no matter what shifts this fall and winter in our culture, we're going to keep Jesus above all. We did it through 2020, and we're going to be that church through 2021 and beyond. So we're going to go back to the first communion, and we're going to look at what Jesus did here, because we know the story. We know communion, and so it's not a big shock to us. But did you know there in that upper room on that Passover week when Jesus did the Lord's Supper, there were 12 people there in the room who were shocked and shook to the core by what happened that night. Let's go. We're in the book of John. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to be with the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. Now, that's the book of John. And John, we talked about how 90% of what he writes about isn't in the other gospels. He adds some different things and he leaves out some things. That's all John says really about the first communion. He talks about some other things that happened during it. We'll get to next week. But for this week, I want to do a, just do a pause today and do a deep dive on the Lord's Supper, on communion, to, to reframe some things for us and also to refresh some, some dusty old things that we become indifferent about and to realize the, the, the true power um, that happened there in that room, the, the uniqueness of what God was doing. And so to do this, we're going to look at some of the other gospels, to look at communion and what it is. And what happened when Jesus instituted this new sacrament called communion? 
John 13, Jesus is not only in the last week of his ministry, he's in the last days, the last hours, the last moments with his disciples. The, the arrest is around the corner. And before the Lord's Supper, uh, there, had, there had been no communion as we know it. They didn't have the communion as, as you know it at your church or even here. Jesus institutes communion during a Hebrew holiday, Passover. We've discussed this some. We're going to discuss it more, but it lasts an entire week. And throughout this week, there's different kind of activities, readings, um, different meals, traditions that they would take place all throughout the week. Remember, millions of people are making a pilgrimage to get there to Jerusalem. The city is packed, and Jesus and his disciples are no different. So the Lord's Supper or communion we're about to, to read about, takes place during this high Hebrew holiday. So it happens during a Passover Seder. Do you guys know what a Passover Seder is? Perhaps you've been a part of one at some point. A Passover Seder is an important meal with rich biblical traditions and themes. Jesus had participated in over 30 Passover Seders in his life. His uh, disciples had done the same as, as Hebrews. It was something they did every single year. And now the Passover is all about one thing. And in fact, the theme of Passover is remembering. We're remembering what God has done. During the meal, they would take different breaks, different pauses to remember the great works that God has done. It's called Passover because if you look back to the Old Testament, when the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt, they put the blood on their doorposts and the angel of death passed over their home. God delivered them and it comes from that moment. So they, they say to remember. At Passover, we pause. And we remember. And all the activities and the meals and the traditions help them to remember. They remember what God did for them, what God, who God is for them, and what God is going to do in the future as the Messiah is promised. Now, there's major parts and there's major points of Passover. And I'm going to talk kind of fast today because there is a lot to cover in this. I don't have enough time to go into all the details of a Passover Seder, but here's a few tidbits. They would eat certain foods in certain order. There were some bitter herbs that would remind them of the bitterness of slavery. There was some salted water to remind them of tears. There was bread called matzo. In fact, there was no leaven at all. And in Passover, every person would clean their entire house of leaven. And I talked to somebody, Lori, on staff, and she said when she was a kid growing up, they would participate in this, and they would clean the house of leaven. And that, she goes, that's where spring cleaning comes from, because you go through the entire house, every corner, to make sure there's none in there. On that first Passover, they were slaves in Egypt, and they ate the matzah standing so they could move in, in quick. There's no leaven in this. This is what they would eat. They ate it fast and they, they, so they could leave and flee slavery. They're remembering all that God had done on that night. So they had the matzah. They're going to have a, a Passover meal, and there are some preparations that need to happen. A Passover Seder doesn't just happen. You have, to, you have to plan it and get certain things. So we go to Luke, and it says this. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. They had, they had specific instructions. There were some miracles that took place in there. But verse 13, they left and found these things just as Jesus had told them. They found the upper room, and it says they prepared for the Passover. They got the, the different elements they needed. And when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined around the table. And there's, there's pictures of this, but they would recline while they ate, which that sounds great, doesn't it? 
Like later today during the football season, when football's on, I'm going to have a little recline and eat myself. But they would be around kind of a horseshoe shape, and they would recline on their left elbow, and they would share dipping cups with the person before them and behind, and they could talk. They would, it says they would lean back and talk, speak forward, but they would recline as they ate. Luke 22, verse 8. During this, Jesus says something very curious. I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. Now, again, we've talked over and over throughout this series how Jesus just says some strange things at strange times. And here you are about to have the the annual Passover meal, and Jesus informs you, hey guys, I'm really looking forward to this one before I start suffering. I'm, I'm sorry, what, Jesus? Oftentimes when he talks this way, it goes right over their heads. Remember what words they're hanging on? Jesus has said earlier, just previous to this, the hour has come for me to be glorified. And for many disciples and people around him, that meant, oh, finally, the Messiah is going to to rise up on his throne. He's going to throw off the Roman rule. He's going to be glorified. But right here he says, I've been looking forward to this because after this, I'm going to suffer. He follows it with another curious statement. For I tell you now, I won't eat this Passover meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I mean, he's just said, I look forward to this with you guys because I'm about to suffer. And I will not eat Passover again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I'm sure the disciples were trying to understand what that meant because Passover, it's an annual thing that that you're required to do. Of course they would do this. So when Jesus says he's not going to do it until the kingdom of God is fulfilled, I bet some little lights went off on their head. By this time next year, he's going to be on the throne. The kingdom of God will be established. The Romans gone. The The temple will be all ours. Jesus will be on the throne this time next year. That will be the Passover. Well, I mean, what does he, what does he mean here? What is he truly saying? There were disciples in the room who thought, many different things, but I'm sure they didn't expect what they were about to see. Jesus takes the cup and he blesses it, which is a normal part of the Passover meal because there are four cups during the Passover meal, four cups of wine. And during the Passover Seder, you would drink the four cups of wine. And immediately, many of you are now more than interested in having your own Passover Seder with four cups of wine. And and, and the tradition goes that sometimes they have smaller cups, so they just take sips. Sometimes they drink the whole thing, however they want to do it. But there were four cups during the Passover Seder, and each cup came with a promise. Each cup comes with a blessing and a promise from God. Four promises, each with its own drink. So in the meal... You're having these cups. I'm setting a table here for what Jesus is about to do because we know what we have, but we need to see the origins of where it came from and all that it truly means. We have three matzos, which we'll talk about, and we have four cups of wine. And it all goes back to Exodus 6. Exodus 6, God is talking to Moses, and he makes four promises to them. And the four promises become the four cups of wine. God says these things. The first cup over here. God says, I will bring you out of the yoke of slavery. The first cup is the cup of deliverance. I will bring you out. Say, I will bring you out. The second cup, he says, I will set you free from being slaves. That's right. It's the cup of freedom. Say, I will set you free. It's the promise of God. The third cup, God says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and by mighty acts that I do. The third is the cup of redemption. Say, I will redeem you. And the fourth cup, God declares to his people, I will take you as my people 
and I will be your God. This is the cup of marriage or the cup of protection. Say this, I will take you as my own. The four cups, the four cups of Passover, I will bring you out. I will set you free. I will redeem you and I will take you as my own. The four cups of wine, the four promises from the Passover Seder. The first cup comes with this promise. They would drink this cup at the very beginning of the Seder. And they would remember the promise of God and the works of God that I will bring you out of the yoke of slavery, out of Egypt. I will rescue you. The disciples and Jesus would recite the blessing prayers. They had traditional prayers that they would recite. And so they would start the meal and they would thank God for what he'd done, bringing them out of the yoke of slavery of Egypt. And they would take and they would drink. And they would also, as they're doing this, look forward to to God, take us out of the yoke of the Romans. The meal would continue. There would be certain, in a certain order, intricate steps of how they would eat and what they would eat. And here, just as an aside, just, just as an aside, this coming Good Friday in 2022, I've invited a Messianic Jewish rabbi to come and ha- prepare a Passover Seder for us and walk through the entire thing and, and have it be interactive. We'll have it right here on Good Friday. So, so, so be looking forward to that. It'll give us a lot more insights into the meal. They would then get to the second cup. And it says, I will set you free. Now, there's been some confusion on the second cup because we've already been freed from slavery. What do you mean you're setting us free? And I, I want to just, God knows this. God knows that salvation is needed. He wants to bring you out of darkness, out of slavery, but he doesn't leave us there. He also wants to set us free of some things. Getting the people out of Egypt is honestly far easier than getting Egypt out of the people. You see, they've been slaves their entire life. They needed to learn what it meant to be sons, to be daughters. They needed to be set free from slavery that they'd been in, the bondage they still carried within them. You can bring somebody out of physical bondage, but getting their heart and mind set free, that's a different thing. You can rescue somebody out of abuse, but oftentimes that doesn't mean that they're set free from it internally. You can come to salvation in Jesus and still be an addict, still need freedom. God can rescue rescue your soul, but you can keep your chains of anxiety or the chains of shame on your past. You see, God brings us to salvation, but he wants to bring us freedom. And for many of us in Jesus, we've we've come to believe in Jesus and salvation, but but God, where are you in this other stuff? It's because there's a second cup that God wants to set us free of some things. You see, he wants to make us a new creation. He wants to, to give us a new hope and new future. But in doing so, Many of us still judge ourselves based on our past works, not his work in us. You see, we do this all the time. He might have rescued them from Egypt, but the bondage that was still in their heart, they needed freedom from. And for some of us here today, what you need most of all is a drink from the second cup of freedom. And at the end that you will pray, you say, Jesus, I know that I'm saved. I know I've come to salvation, but there are some areas, some vices, some anxieties, some depression, some issues I, I need to be set free from. This is where discipleship is needed. I say all the time that salvation isn't the finish line. It's the starting line to a life of God setting you free. So he takes, out, he takes them out of Egypt and he promises he will set them free from the chains that hold them. He doesn't just get them out of slavery. He wants them to be a new people. He doesn't just leave them the same. And Jesus, yes, he calls you to salvation, but he doesn't just want to leave you in your sin and vice. He wants to then call you forward out of that into a new way of living, into new freedom, into new peace, into new power and presence. He says, I will bring you out the first cup. 
He says, I will set you free, the second cup. And then the third cup comes with the promise that I will redeem you. Redemption is to take healing even farther. Farther, Redemption goes way beyond replacement. If, if you lose something in your replacement, that's not redemption. Redemption is when something is lost or broken and, and God rest, rest, goes beyond restoring it to blessing beyond it. If you've experienced redemption in your life, you know that it's one of the most beautiful things in the world. I mean, I, there are so many broken dreams that I've had in my past, so many broken promises, so many failed things that I thought God can never truly redeem. And, and, and I look on my life now and redemption is one of my favorite words because God takes what is broken and makes something beautiful. God takes what was lost and doesn't just restore it. He goes beyond it to redemption. And for many of you, you've had losses. You have broken dreams. You've had your heart broken. Maybe even right now in your life, there's been something that has been just ripped and broken. And you're saying, where, where do I go from this? God wants to bring you redemption, not just to restore, but to bless beyond what you lost. I believe redemption is the one of the most beautiful things in this world. God's power at work in a broken humanity. You see, it takes the joy that was robbed from you and it restores it. It takes all the things that were lost and broken. He says, he says I will take you out. Cup one, I'll set you free. Cup two, I'll redeem you. Cup three, and the last one, I will take you as my people. The final cup has so many nuances in the Old Testament. This final cup has the language of marriage. This final cup, he says, I will take you as my own. It's, it's, the, it's this groom talk. And you, we will have a wedding. You will be mine and I will defend you. I will protect you. This cup declares marriage and protection that God will defend us. I will take you as my own and I, I will defend you. The four blessings of Passover, the four promises of Passover, each with their own cup of wine. Can you imagine being a part of this meal and going through each of these? I mean, are there places in your life where you need to be delivered? That you're in, under chains of addiction or depression? Are there places in your life where you need to be set free? Are there places in your life where you want redemption for the areas that are broken? And are there areas of your life where you want God to protect you? I mean, could you, do you see the power of being a part of a meal where you're constantly remembering what God has done, but praying, God, do it again today in my life? Now, these cups are mentioned in the passage in the book of Luke. And if we look at the other gospels, we see them filling out a rich picture. He takes the first cup. Jesus is in the upper room. He takes the first cup and he gives the blessing. I will bring you out. This would be the start of the meal. And in fact, we know the exact blessing he probably prayed because there was this debate between two ancient sages, these two rabbis, on what the blessing should be. And they recorded the debate and which one won out. And so they have this ancient blessing and they would stand up and they would pray the blessing to release us from the yoke of slavery and they would all drink to start the Passover Seder, the Passover meal. And then they would have the second cup, the cup of freedom. And as they drink, they would remember to, they would discuss the promise of God that I will set you free. You can imagine as they sit there and they remember what God had done in the past, how he had brought them out of the yoke of slavery with Pharaoh, how he had rescued them, and then how he'd, he'd freed them. And they would, I'm sure as they drank, they would, they would just think, God, are you going to free us again? Are you going to free us from the yoke of slavery of Romans? Are you going to give us our land back? Is this the year that the Messiah declares himself? Could it be Jesus as they drank that second cup? 
And then they would have the meal. They would go through the, the different steps, the bitter herbs, the vegetables. It's all recorded there. And then um, Jesus pauses and he takes out the middle matzah. He takes out the middle matzah. There's, there's three special ones. They're all wrapped in cloth. In cloth, And for centuries, they've always done the same thing. There's, there's the first one, there's the middle one, and there's the third one. They would, take the, they would take the middle one up, and they would break it in half, partake of it, but they would, they would hide the second half. They would, they would go and hide it somewhere. The second one was hidden from everyone, and at the end of the meal, often the children would, the children would go look for it. And when they would find it, they would have a great celebration and have a dessert. That's what they would do with the middle one. So again, we have three matzos. We have the first one wrapped in cloth. We have the second one wrapped in cloth. The third one all wrapped in cloth. I did a lot of Hebrew search on this because I wanted to know what this, this whole matzah thing was about and their traditions and cultures. And there's so many different beliefs. Long story short, there's a pretty big belief that this first matzah, the top one, is the preeminent one. And it stands for the priesthood, the priest who preside over everything. The second one is broken. And it, it reveals to us that, you know what, we are broken and incomplete people. That we are broken. It symbolizes the broken hearts of those people who are there in uh, the, the Passover. The smaller piece, you know, hidden, is called the afikomen. Everybody say afikomen. Hebrew scholars, that's right, each of you. And the middle one was broken and hidden, and it would make an appearance at the end for a celebration. The third one, they would, it stood for the people, or Israel, and, and it would be eaten near the end of the Seder. Three matzahs, one presiding over all, one broken and hidden, and searched for, and the third at the completion. So in the Hebrew minds, there's these three matzahs, and, they, and there's so many themes they believe it could be. The, the priests, the patriarch, the people, all these things. Then Jesus steps into history. This has been done for generations. He steps into history of all these prophecies, of all these traditions, of all these themes, and he has already preached over and over. He's preached over and over that I am the bread of life. He's made some startling claims. And he's about to make some claims here in this upper room that would make the 12 disciples' jaws drop. He's about to make a statement that would break with generations of tradition. That would be blasphemy to some people. He takes out the, the middle cloth. The first, the priest, the reside over all. The second one, the matzo, broke, they would break. And the third one, to near the end. And studying this, do you know what I've I become to believe that this is? I, I don't know for sure, but here's, here's my opinion. Take it if you want it. I believe this. I believe this first matzo isn't the priesthood presiding above all. I believe this is God the Father presiding above all things. I believe the second matzo, obviously, is Jesus Christ. Broken. But not only that, then hidden. And I love the fact that the children go searching for it and find it. Because we, we all must search for Jesus with childlike faith. And then at the end, at the end, he comes back and there's a great celebration. And we look forward to that day as well, don't we? The third one, I believe, is the Holy Spirit who purifies us and who near the end, near the completion, when some works have been done, then we partake of that one. But at this first communion, none of this had been revealed. None of this was in play yet. So at the right time, in the right time of the Passover Seder, Jesus reaches in, he grabs the middle matzah, like, like they've always done for generations. Every disciple has seen this. They've seen their dads do it. They've seen people do it. Jesus breaks it, and he's about to give the blessing, and they're all going to recite it with him. They all know the drill. They all know the deal, and Jesus breaking with centuries, generations of tradition. He says, this is me. 
I can't describe to you how shocking that would have been. To insert yourself into the Passover. But they followed this rabbi. They've seen the works he's done. They've declared him Messiah. He says, this is me. In fact, it's always been me. It's always been me. This is my body. The same way this bread is broken, I will be broken from you. And then I will be hidden from you. But you of childlike faith can search for me. And someday, someday I'm coming back to make an appearance and there will be a celebration. This is me. The matzo is without leaven. Leaven is the symbol of of sin. And Jesus says, this is me without sin, without blemish, the bread of life. And I am broken for you and all of humanity. And disciples, from now on, for the rest of your life, whenever you take a Passover Seder, when you get to this middle matzah, you break it. And can you imagine? Can you imagine? Because they're about to watch what it means to be broken. They're about to watch him break on a cross. They're about to watch his body be broken. And the next Passover, and every Passover from then on, these disciples, they would sit there and go, this is Jesus whose body was broken. And they, would, they wouldn't have to like thank him and like kind of get in that spot. They would have known what it means that he was broken. Thank, thank you for your life. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for breaking for us. Jesus is saying, listen, don't just thank God for the the freedom that our forefathers had from Egypt, there is freedom for you now and for generations to come because I am breaking. God freed you from Egypt, but he wasn't done because God is in the freedom business. And so from now on, we look at what God did, what he has done, and what he's gonna do. So anytime you take communion from this time on, it says you take it in remembrance of me. Here's what I always say. Even with these little like, Wafers, whatever they're made of. Like, um, what, <laughs> yeah, you'll find out in a little while. Um, whatever you take communion with, even if it's a little tiny thing, break it. Break it. And say, thank you. I remember that your body was broken for me. Luke twenty two nineteen. he took to him bread. He gave thanks to God. He broke it and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which was given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he tells them to take and to eat. And even as they eat, they still didn't understand what was coming, what he would go through. Now, I don't know if they hid half of it that night. I don't know if they did the rest of it. But, but back to Luke, he says, and the same way after supper, he took the cup. Now, they started the Seder with the first. They've already passed the second. They took that one. And now they're on the third cup. This is the one. Jesus holds the third cup up. And you, of course, you've been paying attention every step. And you know this is the cup of redemption that I will redeem you. This is the cup of wine that you would drink directly after the meal. We've, we've drank into the, the, God says, I will take you out. We've drank, in, drank to the, he says, I will set you free. And the disciples are not shocked at all that he takes out the third cup. They're like, finally, we're back on track. Okay, we know this. We're gonna take the third cup. We're gonna say, recite the prayer. We're gonna say the blessing. We get this. We know the third cup. And of course, we know Jesus lifts the third cup, the cup of redemption. Redemption, which makes the, what was lost found, what was broken, he, he takes it and he makes it whole and new again. He makes the shameful things perfect. Redemption makes what was empty fulfilled and redemption makes all things new. Redemption is God's powerful force of, of life and hope in a broken world. And Jesus takes this cup of redemption and he holds it up and he does not say the words. He does not recite the blessing. Instead, he holds it up and says, this cup of the new covenant, this is the cup of the new covenant between you and God. This is my blood. 
Now, to declare that, that this is the new covenant between you and God, only a, a divine mediator could say that. Bet- between you and God, a mediator, only someone of divine place could say, this, he says, this is my blood, the cup of redemption. It's always been me. And today it is fulfilled. My blood, my sacrifice makes all things new. I am redemption. Disciples, anytime you partake of this cup, take it in remembrance of me until I come back. And as for us, we have the juice and and you'll hold this cup later in the service and you'll say, Jesus, this is the cup of a new covenant between me and God. This is your bloodshed. Jesus claims that his body was the bread of life, and that we've broken for you for freedom, for salvation. This shed blood is the redemption we drink from. Centuries before, on Passover, the angel of, of death would come by each house on that first Passover. And what would it look for? Would it look inside the house? Would the, would the angel of death look inside the house and go, how much sin is in there? How much, are they backslidden? Aren't they addicted to anything? I think he cusses. He listens to, to non-Christian radio. Like, like, you know, like, like, or would the angel of death, would it come by and see the blood and move on? You see, it wasn't based on the works of the people. It was based on the works of the blood. And the same is true today. The sacrifice was, is, was enough. Jesus is claiming that his shed blood is, is enough that the judgment of God passes over you giving of salvation and redemption that we need. Jesus is the Passover lamb who causes, whose blood causes judgment to pass over. And someday I will stand before God and he's not gonna look at me and just see my sin, my good works, my bad works and weigh them out. He's gonna see the works of his son, Jesus. The greatest thing about the gospel is it doesn't look at your sin, it looks at the son. None of us can stand apart from that. And just as in that Passover, listen, yes, we might have some vices and we're dealing and wrestling with sin in our life, but does the blood of Jesus cover your life? Did you work your way into salvation? No, you're not gonna work your way out of it either. The blood of Jesus covers you and that, that is what qualifies you for salvation. That's the new covenant, praise God. And if there's any time for an amen, that's one of them. The God God doesn't define you by your addiction. He doesn't define you by your sin or your past. He's going to look at you and he's going to see that you're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. That none of your works could measure up but the work of Jesus. That's what it is that covers sin. The blood of Jesus, it's not painted on doorposts anymore. It's painted above our hearts and spirits. The Bible is very clear. It says when God looks upon us, he won't see our sin. He'll see, our, he'll see his son. And that if you are in Jesus, hear me today. If, you've, if you're showing up today and you go, oh, I have so much shame. If that pastor only knew what I'd done. If the people around me knew what I was involved, can I just remind you of one thing? Maybe this is what you needed. Is that the blood of Jesus covers that you can't out his love. That, that your past is forgiven. That your present is forgiven. That your future is forgiven. Like it's, a, it's an obscene grace that goes beyond what we can comprehend. And praise God it does. That's not based on works. You see, that Passover on that day became the Lord's Supper, a meal that was eaten for centuries and celebrated. And one night, Jesus stands up and says, I'm the freedom. I'm the redemption. It's me. I am broken. 
It was about Pharaoh and slavery, but hidden there in the Old Testament, as all things were, it's leading to me. It's about me, my body and my blood declaring a new covenant. Jesus takes something old and makes it new. And we say this a lot. I tell you this all the time. The Old Testament points to Jesus. Praise God it does. It was always his broken body. It was always his shed blood. And today when you take communion, remember. Do this in remembering his body and his blood that was shed that was broken for you. Now you're probably wondering about this fourth cup. This is very interesting. Jesus has started the meal. He's taken the first cup, drinking the second cup. He's broken the matzah. They've had the meal. He's took the third cup. But what about this fourth one? Remember, this fourth cup, it's the marriage cup. I will be your God and you will be my people. You are mine. It's marriage language. I will defend you. The cup of marriage. The cup of God defending us. On that first Passover, this, this, this cup uh, with the Egyptians, it manifested itself after they were set free and delivered and they were going to the Red Sea. And God said, you are mine and I will defend you from Pharaoh. Hmm. Something curious happens though. Something curious happens with Jesus. He, drinks the, he declares himself the third cup, forever changing how we do communion. And then he gets to the fourth cup. And Matthew twenty two twenty seven says this. He took the cup, third cup, and gave thanks to God for it. He gave and said, each of you drink from it. This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice for the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I will not drink that cup of protection. Jesus takes the first three cups and then he says, I will not drink of those cups again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I mean, he drinks deliverance and freedom and redemption, but when it comes to the cup of protection, Jesus leaves it untouched. He walks away from the Seder table with the cup of protection untouched. Because see, Jesus' mission, he didn't come for self-preservation, he came for salvation. And he couldn't drink that cup. I can imagine the disciples, as they, they thought, or even they might have said out loud, like, Jesus, are you kidding me? There's plots everywhere to kill you. Of all people in Jerusalem tonight, you should drink this, Jesus. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, they have a plan right now. There is a plot. They are, they are after you. Please, are you sure you don't want to drink the fourth cup, Jesus? Please, Jesus, drink the fourth cup. But Jesus, the sacrificial Passover lamb, he put protection, the cup of protection down and willfully got up and walked away from the table. Now, Jesus, all-powerful, could have defended himself, divinely protected himself, but he set aside the fourth cup. The fourth cup that says, I will gather you to myself. You will be mine. The cup of marriage. Now, this cup, and this, this, this gets me, so excuse me. This cup remains in heaven. This cup waits for us. You will drink from this cup. Until then, we'll take communion. But someday, followers of Jesus you will sit down at a feast. All the things of the Bible fulfilled. 
a wedding feast, the Bible says, a marriage. And you know what God's going to do that first when we get there? He's going to pop a cork. And he's going to pour some, some wine. And he's going to say, you are mine. And I am yours. And we're going to have a wedding feast and drink from the fourth cup. Today, I want you to know that God offers you some amazing things. He offers you salvation from, from he offers you salvation through Jesus. And, and if you're here today or you are watching or listening, some of us, we need to come to make that first step that we need Jesus for salvation. We need to be set free from the bondage of sin. If that's you today and you want to pray to receive Jesus Christ, you, um, you can meet us in the back corner over there. Others of us, listen, we need to admit that we, we have come to Jesus for salvation, but we still need to be set free of some things. We have addictions, vices. We're living in depressions and anxieties. We have chains. And yes, we have salvation, but Father, set me free from these things. And so today, some of you need to pray with a, a prayer of freedom. And we would love to pray for you over there as well. If you're with us online, you can email me, daniel at theorchardlife.com. I'd love to talk to you about this. For all of us, we all in, in, in the building and there at home, you get to take from the third cup today. It was probably in your seat when you sat down. We get to have communion, the cup of redemption, the cup that Jesus says, this is the blood of a new covenant, a new way to the Father. He offers you redemption. He says, I will redeem your life. And finally, the startling understanding that there's a fourth cup waiting in heaven with your name on it. Waiting for that glorious wedding feast. As we end today, you have the opportunity to take communion. And I want you at some point during the, we're going to give you a little more time with the music. I want you to pull out that little wafer, that bread, wherever you are. And I want you to hold it up and break it just as Jesus did. That for centuries, for generations, they didn't know it was him. And he said, this is me. Break that bread. And, and, and no, don't take it yet. Break the bread. Thank him for all he's done. And I want to remind you of something very important. If you're new with us right here today, there's no membership required to take communion. There's no class. There's no hoop. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. He says also in 1 Corinthians to examine yourself. And so as you sit there before you take it, and if it's your first time to take it without um, a priest or somebody else, know that Jesus invites you into this. It's okay. As a follower of Jesus, you're invited into this. And examine yourself. What do you need to ask forgiveness for? What do you need to confess before him? And then out of gratitude, thank you, Jesus. So as we take that communion, I want you to, to take those times to, to remember the sacrifice of our Savior. If you need any sort of prayer, you can meet us in the back corner. And let me pray for us as we finish this. Jesus, we magnify you above all things. We thank you that the, you have delivered us from, from the bondage of sin. I thank you that right now you are setting so many of us free from the chains that still hold us. And I pray that in this room there would be freedom from vice, depression, and anxiety, and bitterness, and anger, and pain. Father, I pray that you would be a chain breaker this morning to bring freedom on people's lives. Father, I thank you for the third cup of redemption that we will take in your honor because of you remembering you. Jesus, I thank you so much that your body was broken and your blood was shed for us. And Jesus, we thank you that there is a cup that waits for us in heaven that we will all drink together. So Jesus, we glorify you during this time. 
May your Holy Spirit speak clearly to each of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.